Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. Kyle, we have like reached the midway point of the college season. It's creeping up in the NFL regular season, and um, that makes me sad. Welcome. I'm just a little confused where the time is going. You know, it's like it's, and we talk about how this goes pretty quick every year, but this year has literally been a blink and you've missed half the season type affair. Yeah, there's no question about it. And um, as much as the season has played out, I feel like we have a lot to learn still, right? Wisconsin goes down to Illinois. Uh, you know, it's um, it's just every week, right? Last week was Georgia against South Carolina, especially in the college side where we're still sorting things out. The NFL is really interesting in terms of you don't feel like anyone's untouchable and so it makes for some fun football the rest of the way yeah there's i think there's very different dynamics between the two sides of the football world right now where like the college side is weird because ohio state is the team now that feels like they're Mm -hmm. just genuinely untouchable i can't believe i flirted with taking northwestern to backdoor cover that friday night game because ohio state blew the doors off of and you listen to Fat, Pat Fitzgerald talk after the game, and Joe, he was he was like, yeah, second quarter's their MO. They ran all the exact same plays we expected they did. We called the right play calls to avoid it, and they still just gouged us. Yeah. And what what are, what are you supposed to do? You, you can't do anything because their talent just presents so many mismatches that there's only a very select handful of teams in the country that can handle the firepower that Ohio State has. Well, and obviously the way that they're continuing to steamroll everyone and Wisconsin's loss to Illinois, it cha- changes the dynamics of this Saturday when those two teams square off. And it's definitely, a, you know, it's certainly a very challenging game from Ohio State, but maybe a game that I thought could be competitive. Uh, I don't know. I think Ohio State's going to take care of the business. All right, here's a question for you. Have you seen yeah. the line for that game? No, I haven't. What would you set the line for this game at? Where's it at? Do you know? No, I have no idea, but that's just like if you were setting the odds on a line for this game, I've got a number in mind, but I'd love to hear what you think. Um, 18 and a half. Okay, see, I was going to say like 23 and a half. And we're, we're thinking the same thing. We're thinking three touchdowns. Yeah, it's, it's a three, three, four score game. 23 and a half if it's at Ohio State, 18 and a half if it's at Wisconsin. But it's in Columbus. It's a 23 and a half. Oh, yeet. All right. I like it. Uh, I think the biggest game in football yesterday that I watched was Dallas and Philadelphia, Kyle. This was a defining game in the NFC East. I know I mean, it's still week seven, but, you know, you had two, three, and three teams, both coming off losses, kind of, you know, everyone was on the ledge a little bit with especially Dallas last week, and they play, and you know, they Dallas dominates his football game, wins 37 to 10. Uh, Philly's defense is really bad and it's disappointing because Jim Schwartz is so 
married to the idea of being plus one in the box. He's he's hanging his secondary out to dry. A lot of cover one, a lot of cover zero, a lot of man coverage. And, man, they don't got the dudes to do it. They don't have the guys to be able to to carry guy routes into space alone. And they're getting torched by play action. They're getting torched by vertical routes and double moves. And Jim Schwartz not doing a thing about it, man. And I know that they're banged up, right? Like, they don't have Malik Jackson. They don't have Tim Jernigan. They cut Zach Brown last week. Nigel Bradham's not in the lineup. Um, you know, this is the dynamics of this team is a little different. You know, obviously some of the cornerbacks are in and out in terms of injuries. They don't quite have their full arsenal of players, but they're heading into the bye week. They play Buffalo on Sunday and then they're going into the bye week. And, um, I just feel like we, this is a team that you and I thought was a Super Bowl team going into this year, but defensively, they're just letting us down. And then, you know, offensively Carson's playing really well at times, but, you know, Miles Sanders has been super erratic with the way he carries the football. And, you know, like they're, they really need Deshaun Jackson in this offense to, to give them the spacing they're looking for. And Nelson Aguilar keeps, I mean, just between drops and then just not even going for that ball last night, man. Like there's a lot of questions with this Philadelphia team and, um, you know, they're going to have to find answers quick. Now, I guess the reality is they're a game out of first place in their division, all that stuff. They play again. It's all right there in front of them. Well, they're a but game there's, there's a lot of issues. Now. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing, uh, did you see the report that they were, of what their offer was in the Jalen Ramsey market? A one, a two, and a four? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Philly could have afforded to do anything more than that, to be honest with you. And like, the one and the two can't afford to be in the same year because you just went through a laundry list of issues with this team at the skill players and, and outside. Those problems aren't going away. Kyle, we have like, legit breaking. Hold on. We have legit breaking news in this podcast. Oh, no. A well, team has traded a first round pick, Kyle. Is no. it for OJ Howard? No, it's a team that traded a former first round pick. The Texans have traded for Raiders first round cornerback Gary and Conley in exchange for a third-round pick. Holy shit. Every single team in the league should have been on that deal. A three for Gary and Conley. Did Oakland get trounced by Green Bay yesterday and say, that's it, we're not good enough this year? Well, listen, like, Conley apparently was on the rocks with Gruden last year midseason, or was at least in the doghouse. And then, you know, he, he seemed to have a... Bounce and then they give up what was it 48 points yesterday? Aaron Rodgers threw for five touchdowns and ran for a sixth. Thanks a lot. Went against him in fantasy football this weekend. And um it's it's really a defensive depth chart. How many players right now do you think are viable long-term pieces? For the Raiders? Yes. How many, how many players on the Raiders' defensive depth chart can you look at and say, yeah, that guy's going to be starting here two, two three years from now? Uh, first of all, let me say, any any uh, audio differences today? Kyle is uh, dealing with some personal matters today, and it's putting him remotely. And so apologize for any uh, any lack of audio quality today on the podcast. Yeah, just throw me right under the bus. That's fine. It's cool. No, Listen, man, there was a lot. There was some blurbs in and out on that last, <laughs> last segment my, there. So. My question, my question. Yeah, I got your question. I pulled you up look, the Raiders depth chart. Long-term answers here. Uh, yeah. Mo Hurst. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner, hopefully they just paid him a decent contract. 
that might be it. I mean, Trayvon Mullen's a guy they just drafted. You like to think he can help. Max Crosby has a couple sacks. Cleveland Farrell has three pressures on the year, man. Yikes. Yeah, it's not great. This is not great. Carrion's supposed to be one of those guys. Yeah. You just traded him for three. Right, and he played well last year. I don't get it. These big ego coaches, man, whether it's Ben Gase or not Gruden, you know, like, you, you can't just keep – you can't just keep, like, just getting rid of guys because they rub you the wrong way. Like, I get it to an extent, right? You have to have the right mix of players in your locker room. But so many times I feel like it's the coach. Yeah, and this isn't even, like, an economics decision. Like, people have criticized – the Dolphins for trading Tunsil and Fitzpatrick, but the return on investment of both those guys was at least equal, if not better value than what they spent to get the players. This is a two-round drop-off for a really good starting corner with a lot of potential. Uh, Benjamin Albright is reporting that the Raiders aren't done. Look for them to be on the acquiring side. So there's there's some activity that's going to be happening here. Um, Houston's taking this, this Rams approach in a way, right? With... Uh, just really trading all of their draft picks for players, right? I mean, this is this is very much what we've seen the Rams do, and now we're seeing it with the Texans between the Tunsil trade, uh, this trade, the Duke Johnson trade. Um, there's been a lot of movement for for the Texans and giving up capital and trying to take advantage of what I'm guessing is a window that they believe is open with Deshaun Watson on a rookie deal before you know they pay him mega bucks and um, you know have to make more challenging decisions. Well, listen, this is a smart move for the Texans based on the fact that they don't have a general manager and the people that they have in place don't know how to make draft picks. So you might as well not even have draft picks at this point. My question is, how are you going to sell this job to a prospective (laughs) GM? It's like, hey, good luck coming in. You have no top 100 picks the next two years. You have Deshaun Watson sitting in the interview? (laughs) I guess, but, I mean, honestly, they traded their one this year. They traded their one and two next year, all for Tunsil. They just traded a three for Duke Johnson, correct? hmm And they traded a three for Gary and Conley. You legit have a second-round pick in the first two days yeah. of the next two NFL drafts right now. And it goes back to the conversations we had about the Rams last week in that, like, they're not they're, – they're stripping themselves of opportunities to – replenish their roster because they're trading picks. They're trading their picks away for players instead of paying the players that they pick. It's, it's a dilemma. I don't, I think it creates bad balance on your roster, well, but I mean, it, at the same it, time, and Gary and Conley is a first round pick. He gave up a three to me. That's a net gain. Yes. There's no question from that perspective. It is. But when that's your entire philosophy for your entire roster and filling out your entire roster, it's a bad cash balance issue. And then you don't have the ammunition to repeat talent. And I think it rapidly accelerates the aging of your roster because if you don't have any picks, how are you going to plug holes two years from now? Oh, that's right. You're going to sign guys who are 28 years old and you're going to pay them premium money in free agency. The Raiders, I guess, are banking on Trayvon Mullen and then Isaiah Johnson who's on IR designated for return as being their outside guys. 
was that the who was the guy that was Isaiah Johnson the guy that we had trouble with at the fan rag offices two years ago? I don't think no, that's uh that's not it it's a Houston player. Um it's a Houston Yeah. I uh, I can't remember his name. <laughs> he got drafted by the Browns. That was one of the all time great moments between the draft dudes was us on day three of the 2017 draft, just delirious. Howard Wilson. Howard Wilson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and we couldn't even say Howard Wilson's name. We would just laugh. Well, I guess I couldn't, um, but. Oh, okay. I was looking at you when you were talking. Yeah. Shouldn't have done that. Okay. So we got off the rails there with the breaking news, but glad we got a chance to kind of react to that live for everyone. Um, what else here in the NFL? I mean, Jacoby Brissett goes out and throws four touchdowns. He leads the AFC in touchdown passes per game. Big win for them in that in the AFC North or South over Houston. Uh, yeah, first place Indianapolis Colts, Joe. Yeah. And uh, Brissett look, looks like he's got a little bit of chemistry cooking with some of these receivers, which is fascinating, right? Because he, he came in and did the bullpen duty for Luck when Luck was hurt, and then Luck bounced back. Had a huge year in 2018. They legit have, I don't say they haven't skipped a beat because that's not true. Jacoby Brissett's a different kind of quarterback, different style of quarterback. Uh, I think he's a little bit more of a true within structure uh, versus some, some of what Luck looked to do with big plays down the field. Uh, but I, I don't think we talked about this yesterday, you and I. I don't know if you could put the Colts inside the top eight quarterback needy teams in the NFL right now, and they just handed Andrew Luck retire. Yeah, I think they love. I think they love Brissett. Reich, Reich uh, spoke glowingly about him after the game, and I mean Frank Reich just continues to overcome anything that comes his way, man, and just an unbelievable head coach. And looking at the defensive side of the ball, obviously Darius Leonard, a big boost being back for this football team. The game ceiling interception at the end was a beautiful play. Justin Houston now has uh, he had a multi sack game here. He had four quarterback hits. He's got three sacks the last two weeks. I mean, I know that Kamoko Ture was a disappointing loss for this team because he was really starting to come on early this year. But you know, between you know, Ben Banigou, but really Justin Houston kind of coming into his own. It's uh, this Colts defense has got some dudes, man. I, I I'm really excited to see how this team continues to evolve throughout the course of the year because I mean I think they're one of the better teams in the AFC even though they lost Andrew Luck yeah and they were a team that I felt pretty strong with Andrew Luck would have been a Super Bowl contender this year and and I don't think they're necessarily going to be on that level but I thought this team has the potential to win 10 games I said before the season with Brissett seven to ten wins and the way they're playing right now, the way the schedule's shaping up, bet on the high side of that. And, and 10 wins will, in the AFC landscape this year, it'll get you in the playoffs. Because right now, the seven, uh, seventh-ranked team in the AFC is the Oakland Raiders at 3-3, three and three, who yeah. just got shellacked by a top-end team. So, you know, trying to figure out who the Raiders are specifically, like how good they are, but we about them that they just got embarrassed by one of the best teams in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, you know, it feels like things don't ever hold serve, especially in week seven, but you feel like you're going to have four division winners and then the Bills and Texans as your wild, or Bills and Colts, Colts yeah, as your wild. I mean, I, I'd be really surprised if it wasn't those six teams and then flip, flip around your division winners however you see fit. 
Yeah, because, I mean, who's going to go on a run? The Jets aren't going on a run. The, the Browns at 2-4 and four look very disheveled right now. They could feasibly go on a run. But you would, at this point, based on the records of, let's say, the Colts at 4-2 and two and the Bills at 5-1, and one, you would need a collapse from one of those teams for a team like Cleveland to climb back into this situation. Right. Right. I guess people maybe think it could be the Bills, right? But, I mean, the, the Bills at 5-1 and one are in a very good position, even if they have a couple bumps along the way considering the holes that the teams we're talking about are already in. So right. it's, it's interesting. Uh, how about uh, Jim Na- or Matt Nagy came out and said uh, just a few hours ago, he said, I know we need to run the ball more. I'm not an idiot. Uh, just hours after he lost the New Orleans Saints in a game where he ran the ball seven times and only five times with running backs for a total of 17 yards. Kyle, what's going on with the Bears, man? A uh, complete lack of balance offensively. Which 54 anybody could see. Yeah. Hey, here's the deal. Mitch Trubisky can't hit anything to the sidelines at all right now. You ask him to throw the ball 10 yards downfield, and the ball's coming out 17 yards uh, <laughs> of depth instead of 10 yards of depth. I, I have no idea what Mitch is doing, but he cannot throw to the sidelines downfield to save his life right now. And that was a football game at halftime was 12 to 10 and you threw it 54 times. So I really don't have an explanation for what Chicago's doing, Mitch Trubisky, especially because part of what made Mitch so good last year was the extended plays and when he was asked to run the ball. And now we're just going to do drop back passing and a bunch of wide receiver and running back screens because uh, we're under duress from the Saints and, and throw the ball 54 times. Like that game was there for the taking until the third quarter when you guys got off the rails because you kept going three and out because you kept asking Miss, Mitch Trubisky to throw the ball. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> we figured there would be a little bit of regression with the Bears, right? Like that much is not really that big of a surprise that the Bears are in a regression period, but they look lost offensively and that to me is a surprise because I didn't expect Trubisky to be this bad like I don't know how you can't go into this offseason if you're Chicago without looking at a quarterback based on how Mitch Trubisky's played so far this year I'm trying to think did did this defense last year come close to allowing 36 points Um, I'm pulling up their schedule yeah they gave up 38 to the Dolphins I think 31 (laughs) 31 okay yeah so they, they gave up 31 to the Dolphins. They gave up 38 to New England. But, I mean, aside from that, that was it. yeah. That was yeah. It. I think it was probably like 13 points per game the rest of the way. Was that the Osweiler game? Yes. Oh. Osweiler throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns in an overtime win against the best pass defense in the NFL. And this was the Bears. It's funny. That was the Bears coming out of the bye after starting 3-1. and one. So you don't yes. – hey, listen. One thing we know, you don't want to catch the Miami Dolphins coming out of your bye week. No, Tough man, they'll, they'll play their ass off, I'll tell you. Oh, man. Uh, so, we, I mean, we got to talk about the game, right, a little bit? Yeah, let's let's shut, shut it down with this. We'll, we'll wrap with this for today. Yeah, that's good. I guess I'm most interested in your emotions watching the game. I, 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 we talked a little bit earlier uh, in the day just together on this, but, like, I don't feel like the Bills could stop the Dolphins yesterday. I mean, Trey White made two game-changing plays, but otherwise, they ran the ball like they needed to. Fitz got the ball out, and it was a it was 
I guess, a very uncharacteristic performance for both teams and made for a, a tight game that I don't think, um, it, you know, look, the Bills were favored to win by 17 points. It's a closer game than anyone thought. And it should have been even closer than the 10-point margin that it was. should have been right. 24 to, to right. 21. Yeah, Micah Hyde houses that at the end. It's a seven-point swing, yeah. So my emotions during the game was exactly what my emotions were during the Washington game in that Miami's playing with house money. If they win the game, cool. I can get fired up about Brian Flores putting together a winning game plan with Chad O'Shea and Patrick Graham, their offensive and defensive coordinators, when this is the talent that they're working with. Because Mm -hmm. from a talent perspective, they should not win any games this year. Right. They should. Uh, But if if they're going to piece together uh, the needed ingredients, and I I really appreciate this is the first game I really felt like we saw uh, the New England Patriots style defense from Brian. You have it around inside the box, and then they bring pressure, and Jerome Baker got a free run at Josh Allen on one of those and forced a throwaway. And and I'm encouraged by the increasing aggressiveness we've seen from the Dolphins, and I think as this season gets later and later, like they're going to pull more out because they have less to lose. Uh, ultimately, I do think the the organization's objective and, and they, what they would prefer to do is to not go out and win five football games this year. But I think it's very realistic that Miami somewhere along the way wins one or two games. And uh, for every game they lose based on their strength of schedule, their strength of schedule is like 460 uh, percent. The Bengals are 0 and 7, a game worse, and they're like 540 percent for their strength of schedule. So, uh, the, just the, the way that the draft order is playing out, Miami's going to continue to get more aggressive. They ran the fake, uh, the fake field goal, which mm-hmm. wasn't even really necessary, right? Like they're down on the it's fourth and inches, right? And they elected to fake it on a four, a fake field goal. And I think they're just, I think they're really just t- taking advantage of a low pressure situation now, where evaluation year. Let's put guys in positions. Let's see who's capable of executing and doing what. And there's been some promising dividends. And the whole reason why the Dolphins made the change from Rosen to Fitzpatrick was because they wanted to evaluate the rest of the offense. And they sure as hell got to evaluate the Mark Waltons and the Devontae Parkers and the Preston Williamses and the interior offensive lines of the world versus what they would have been able to do if Josh Rosen was under center. I think uh, one thing that makes this a little bit interesting for you probably and Dolphins fans is that I feel like we finally have a consolation prize, quote unquote, at quarterback. I think you can probably convince yourself that as long as you get Tua or Joe Burrow, you're happy. And that's different, right? When it was a Tua versus Justin Herbert conversation before Joe Burrow proved himself in this new LSU offense, you're like, oh, my God, Herbert's not a consolation prize to Tua. And that, Joe, that's exactly what I wrote in my mock draft for today. It it is, there is a a QB1, QB2. Didn't Dane Brugler write something about this Mm -hmm. today? It was QB1, yep. He was kind of gauging NFL executives, and and their sentiment is exactly what you just referenced, and it's exactly what I wrote in my mock draft for today. There is a a clear pecking order, and two guys atop the quarterback rankings charts that you could walk away with and feel really good about who you've got to come be your next quarterback in Tua and Burrow. In whichever order you would prefer them, that's fine. I think Burrow's really going to have a chance 
to capitalize on how hot of a start he's had with his offseason circuit, you know, being eligible to play in the Senior Bowl. Both of the teams, uh, the Bengals and the Dolphins, who may need a quarterback, will be eligible to coach mm-hmm. the Senior Bowl and be there to be hands-on with him for a full week of game preparation and install and so on and so forth. Like, Burrow's got a huge opportunity in front of him. And uh, you're absolutely right where if I walk away from the draft with either Burrow or Tua, I don't feel bad. But if I'm picking two and I decide, yeah, I mean, you tanked, you need to pick a quarterback, and you walk away with Herbert or two based on what Herbert's put on the field this year, I'm disappointed. But I'm not disappointed with Burrow or Tua at this point. Well, I guess uh, the Miami Dolphins need to uh, be sending in letters to Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, and say, hey, we're the team from the South. Joe Burrows from LSU, he's on our roster, right? <laughs> yeah, of Not the course. Bengals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that that's a really interesting point too, as far as like that's a it's such a unique opportunity, and I would love to get the numbers on what being hands on as a coaching staff in that game with those players, what extra percentage of time, hands on time, you're able to get with draft yeah. prospects versus what everybody else does when they're not coaching the game at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we got a lot to talk. This Senior Bowl is going to be loaded with quarterbacks, right? And we could get, we get Herbert, we could get Burrow, Hurts. I mean, yeah. Eason, come on now. This is, uh, this is going to be a great year for Senior Bowl quarterbacks. That's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks, for everyone, for being patient with, uh, with the audio today. Um, we definitely wanted to get Kyle in here to talk about this weekend, and uh, and thanks for uh, for bearing with that. We'll be back again for you tomorrow. It's Takes on Takes Tuesday, our favorite segment of the week. All of our shows are our favorite, but that's I guess our most favorite. I don't know. Make sure you get our get your takes in. Uh, hashtag is Takes on Takes. Kyle's on Twitter at Grinding the Tape. I'm on there at the Joe Marino. We do kindly ask that you subscribe, share, rate, review the podcast. Those things are greatly greatly appreciated. Until tomorrow, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.